Hey everybody, welcome to the 76th episode of the JDO Show. I'm your host, J. David Osborne, and today on the show I have Monica Drake, the author of Clown Girl, The Stud Book, and The Folly of Loving Life. She's one of my favorite authors in the entire world. I believe Rios bought Clown Girl, oh, I think when we were in college. And Monica's just kind of got that thing, that ability to write well, that I'm always extremely in awe of and curious about. So we talk about a lot of uh, writing-related things on this podcast. Uh, I will let you know that we recorded this in a coffee shop, and I've recorded things in public before, um, and it wasn't really that big of a deal. I do notice on this the audio is pretty good, but it's, it's there's about halfway through, I think a refrigerator generator kicks on or something, so there's this kind of drone. But um, think about it this way. Imagine that you're listening to an experimental, ambient, avant-garde musical track in which Monica and I are having a discussion over it. So like, picture the refrigerator as kind of like a didgeridoo or something to that effect. You know, this kind of droning um almost spiritual sound so just 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 frame it that way and it should be fine um if if the audio really bothers you uh you're welcome to uh come over to my apartment i can give you my address and uh i'll be happy to let you know how little of a fuck i give in person so let's see um any news moving to texas excited about that so i'm mad crazy busy freelancing has really sort of taken off so there's a lot of gigs there i'm basically just busy as fuck right now just kind of unused to being this busy but i feel like i'm handling it pretty well i'm sticking to my morning routines so i'm able to sort of uh, deal with these problems not even problems just like deal with these tasks as they arrive i feel like throughout most of my 20s i was just sort of drifting in this in a way that opportunities and tasks would present themselves to me and I would just sort of uh, do the dog thing where I lay on my back and expose my belly to the world uh, just waiting for the gentle claw of the universe to split me from my groin to my breastbone Um, but now I feel like I got a better sort of grip on it so that's good Um, I put Low Down Death Right Easy, which is my second novel, I put that on a website called Gumroad. It's uh, it's pay what you want, so it could be free. Uh, A couple people have gotten it for free, a couple people have thrown me a few bucks. Either way is cool. Um, I just, uh, I do want to throw out there that if you don't feel like throwing out a dollar, um, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what's your fucking problem, dude? Of course it's free, but seriously, what the fuck is your problem? It's a dollar. No, I, I think I'm just gonna. You probably like spend a lot of money. Let's see. Let's let's think about the things that you probably spend a dollar on. Um, candy bars. Uh, you probably spend if you're if you're a smoker, you spend like seven bucks a day on cigarettes. Um, so anyway, it's totally free if you want that. But uh, also, fuck you. Go fuck yourself. Um, let's see, what else? Been reading a lot of good books lately. My newsletter's going out. All this is going to be in the, um, in the show notes, I suppose. I'll, um, put links to Lowdown and also to my newsletter, which I think is a really cool and effective way of, uh, communicating with people outside of social media. 
I hope everybody's doing great. I hope your day is swell. I hope that the weather is nice. I hope that if you are not um, celibate, that you enjoy some sort of sexual activity. Just have fun, people. Just have a good time. Um, anyway, on that note, I do hope that you enjoy this interview or conversation, rather, with Monica Drake. Seriously, folks, she is probably one of the best writers that I know personally, but also is probably one of the best writers going right now. It's just there's something about her prose that's so... We kind of talk about this in the interview, but there's something about her prose that's just so clean and so precise, where you you just... You just stop it. Just stop being so good. We also get into uh, a little bit of juicy... Uh, talk about um, the show Baskets and how, how do I say this legally? Um, it is very questionably close to her novel Clown Girl, and there's a whole story behind that with uh, Kirst- Kristen Wiig um, optioning Clown Girl for a movie. I'll let her describe it, but that's more towards the end. All right, I'm going to let you go. Um, got a whole bunch of shit to do today hell yeah i'm gonna go do some fucking push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups i'm gonna get fucking pumped for the day take a cold ass shower and fucking rock and roll i already walked the dog so she's good she's just laying on the floor like a 10 year old fucking hairy piece of shit all right love you guys enjoy this episode 76 of the jdo show with monica drake yeah, there are certain times where, okay, this second's picking it up, uh, like me and whoever I'm talking to will get too drunk, and when I go back to listen to it, I'm like, okay, maybe I don't want everybody to hear that, you know what or I maybe mean? maybe that wasn't as funny as we thought it was exactly. in that moment. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So normally if I edit it, I'm editing for content. You know, there was one time where I had my buddy Keaton on, we were just talking about movies, but after we talked for like two hours and we were like five or six beers in I just went on this epic rant that I still have Yeah. that I might eventually like but it was just it was this big negative energy type purge yeah. you know yeah. it felt good to get it out when I was done but then it was so funny because like at the end of it I was like I'm not going to cut a single thing I'm going to put it out tomorrow <laughs> everybody's going to know and then I woke up the next day and I was like no there's no way that's, that's good though that's better than just ranting at a party that's true. That's you true. know, you, you you've got the, uh, the the public rant done, and then have the uh, ability to backtrack. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of what I guess the most interesting interested thing that I'm well the thing that I'm the most interested in yeah is uh, actually Portland, and I thought that that kind of would dovetail kind of nicely with your last book. Yeah. Thank so you. I just kind of um, you know I moved here three years ago. I actually moved to Tigard, so I didn't actually move to Portland. Yeah. But I kind of saw it, and I've heard this from other people, that I kind of came right when things really started to change pretty rapidly. And I wonder if that holds true for you. Like, like I, I think it started to change a lot earlier. Oh, did it? Yeah, really? I think okay. it was a lot earlier. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, when would you say that? Um, well, I'm, you know, I'm older than you, and uh, I can remember in 1996 was when I tried to, started trying to buy a house <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I'd come back from grad school, and um, I won a, uh, a writing award for $5,000, which is not a lot of money when you're trying to buy a house. Right, right, right. <laughs> Sorry, I need to 
get my wake up my voice here. But um, so I had five thousand dollars, and I and I came home uh, to Portland, and um, I was able. My my brother helped set me up with a really cheap rent over in um, over behind Jefferson High School, basically in North uh, that North Portland, close in, close to Northeast, and. Um, I had a little dog and I walked my dog every day and I could just see the houses in that neighborhood. It was a really graphic uh, illustration because houses would, would be for sale for twenty, say $25,000. And then about the next time I swung by with my dog, they'd be $50,000. And then I'd go by and they'd be $80,000. And it was just flippers. It was just people flipping yeah. the neighborhood. Yeah. But um, when they got up around 80000 I was just like, I need to get a house. Because uh, yeah, sure. my 5000 was turning out to be smaller and smaller yeah. by the minute, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, so then I, I put my energy into into trying to buy a house, and I ended up I did buy a house. I bought a house for uh, I think it was ninety one thousand dollars. Is which that the one you have now? To me, no. no, that one it seemed like the high end at the mm -hmm. time, but it was a little house on a busy street in Selwood. It was right on Tacoma mm -hmm. Street, which is like the busiest two lane road in town because everyone uses this as a as a four lane road, like they drive right, in the parking. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um. So yeah, ninety-one thousand felt like a big stretch, mm -hmm. but um, I am glad I got it because then I was able to sell it uh, a little later for um, three three times that, mm -hmm. and that's the only reason I have a house now at all. Otherwise, right. I would be, you know, really struggling with that too. Right. Well, that's I mean that's and, the whole reason why we're going to Texas. Right? <coughs> you know, it's because we looked online and yeah, that's actually for two what do we call creative millennials? Yeah. Um, a place in El Paso is the only real like lodge. Like if we kind of want to start a family and stuff like that, and yeah. we were just thinking about it. You know, we love this place, but we realized there's it's not sustainable. Like, there's no way because every time we've looked, admittedly we haven't really looked that hard. But every time we no, it's of, going up. It's still yeah, going up. Yeah, yeah. Every time we've yeah. dipped our toes into into rent in mm. actual Portland, we've just been like, well, I don't know, yeah, think we can do that. Well, the house that I had the cheap um, rent in when I moved back in 96, I knew that house had been purchased um, in cash for, uh, I think, just under $40,000. Mm -hmm. So you could buy a duplex for 40000 at so some point awesome. in, uh, before 96. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was thinking about that just the other day, like people who are, who are younger than me. I'm <coughs> sorry, I don't know why That's my okay. voice is doing this. That's okay. <coughs> but people who are younger than me, they, I think they would be kind of amazed at some of the houses that people used to, um, oh, sorry. That's okay. It's a friend. I just blew it. Um, I just accidentally <laughs> hung, I answered and hung up, which is not what I meant to do. But, um, They probably sorry. heard you say, like, oh, it's just a friend. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> just a friend. Yeah, but, um, but we used to have great houses around town that were, uh, just packed with people but they were so cheap you know mm -hmm. we'd have to staple gun blankets over the windows in the yeah. winter because yeah. it was so cold and uh but nobody kept them up you know and that right. whole area over by clinton street you know where clinton no, and division southeast okay, clinton yeah, division yeah, yeah. where the clinton street theater is and uh -huh. stuff. but they had a in the early 80s when i was really pretty young too young to think about buying a house but mm -hmm. i i remember now they had a homesteading program like my uh, my aunt's generation, mm. people could get in for basically free over there because they wanted people to take on the houses. That's crazy. Yeah, That's yeah. It was homesteading. It was urban homesteading. Right, right. And, uh, so they, and now it's like if you have that oh, place, it's, it's yeah, it's all certain. lawyers and doctors yeah, and people yeah. over there. You can't get anything. Well, over that's there. pretty cool. Some people got pretty lucky then. They sure did. You just yeah. never know. I know, but it's cr it's just crazy to think mm -hmm. of it. And people who come here, like 
the whole kind of creative community as I used to know it anyway, which is different than like say the Wyden and Kennedy creative community, mm -hmm. right? The, the yeah, high yeah, yeah. the high end advertising creative community or the Nike creative right. community mm -hmm. or those guys. But the but the the sort of other the other the, the more eccentric uh, random. The yeah, the weirdos. Yeah. You know, they they were only allowed to be here because things were cheap, and it's yeah. not that city anymore. So I wonder where the weirdos are now. Yeah, I don't know. Because they have to, they have to go. They have to like kind of caravan around in a sort of like gypsy sort of style, right? It's like, <laughs> I not think too so. Much here. Yeah, we gotta I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I hung on by my fingernails. Is mm -hmm. what I did. I got that house. You know, I, mm -hmm. I I got it. You know how I got it is I took a job at a mortgage company. Oh, I got into right. the industry and I became yeah. a mortgage underwriter. That's so smart. I actually yeah. So you had like kind of like inside knowledge of how all that I shit had to. And, yeah, you know. I I was completely obsessive about getting a house mm -hmm. uh, and I t probably talked about it at length too much to everybody. I just it's yeah. all I could talk about like yeah. look at that house. I memorized the prices of houses like that one sold for this much right, last week right, and right. um I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know anything about buying a house, but uh, I was teaching at uh, five different community colleges and making uh, no money at all, mm -hmm. just adjuncting everywhere. And when I would try to buy a home, the the lending officer would say, um, "Well, you're, you you only have a ten week contract because I only had a term. Right. Well, each right. just like one term at a time. Yeah. So it was hopeless. It was like you don't have enough money." And you don't have a long enough contract for anything. So, mm -hmm. but uh, at Christmas, I had a big Christmas break, and none of the five schools would let me know if I had work after Christmas well, or not. And uh, yeah, so who knows if I, you know, I, I didn't. And so I just signed up with a temp agency where mm -hmm. I worked before, and they said we have two. We have this office over here, or we have this mortgage company. You're like, and I said, mortgage? this is what I, I want. This mortgage company, and, and I, I just went there and started working. And yeah. right away, I was just making photocopies, but um, I was paid more than I had been earning uh, teaching basic literacy to unemployed steel workers. You know what's so interesting is that when I first moved here, I started looking for jobs on Craigslist and LinkedIn and yeah. places like that. And all the jobs here are called like, you know, the creative director of beanbag fun, you right, know, right, and, right. And the office hoops master <laughs> and shit like that. And then, of course, everybody wants those jobs, right? So they mm -hmm. pop up and they go away. It's like, I want to work on an organic hemp farm, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then in El Paso, I started looking at jobs there. And I have to say, like, the jobs here, you know, it's something like 45000 a year, 60000 a year, something like that. And then you look in El Paso, and it's like, records keeper for dirt farm. Oh my gosh. Like $80,000. And I'm like, nobody wants to do that? Like, I'll keep records for sure, the dirt yeah, farm. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting contrast, right? It's like, it's so hard to, mm -hmm. if you don't mind doing, like, like you were saying, like, photocopying yeah. or whatever, mm -hmm. people pay, it's hard for me to really wrap my head around it because I've been doing books for so long. Right, but right. People pay money for the dumbest shit that you could possibly imagine. It's like, do you want like $40,000 a year? It's like you said, to like make copies. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, I would pour my heart and soul into this book and <laughs> I know. made like $2,000 from it, but whatever. I was working so hard teaching people basic literacy. I felt like if they could learn to build a sentence, they could change their lives, you mm -hmm. know? But when it all came down to it, I wasn't earning enough, you know? Yeah. I was earning more just running a photo, you know, copy machine. Do you still believe that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've done it, right? Mm -hmm. I've done sure, it, absolutely. and most of my friends have done it. Like this yeah. is what we've done. We've written, 
and it's changed our lives, you know. Oh, that's a cool segue because I had yeah. a question about that. Yeah. When I do move to El Paso, one of the biggest things, Rios has recently been doing the corporeal writing with Lydia. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And she's like loved it. She oh, comes great. home all the time, she talks about how great it is. Um, so your writing workshop, like, or not workshop, but like your writer's group. Yeah. I want to set one up in El Paso. Yeah. So did, like, when you were first starting it, was it, like, putting flyers up around? Well, you know, we, we, uh, we caught the tailwinds of Tom Spanbauer's workshop. Oh, that's right. I always forget. So that's yeah. the deal. But, um, but Tom went to a, uh, festival downtown, mm -hmm. a little, or I think it was an arts fair. Yeah. And he just leafleted. Okay. And then he got a, um, he taught through a community. It's funny because I was just thinking about this today, but he taught through a, uh, a community education class, and um, that was really cheap. Right. And he probably didn't make a lot of money on that one, but then he managed to keep some of us on board, mm -hmm. and then he moved it to his house, and uh, and that's where it got started. Well, okay, right on. Yeah. And then, but he was he was so good to work with, and so uh, different people sold their books, and you know, um, pretty much everybody in that group right has well Tom has a big group he has a big mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if he's still doing it but he did it for decades where he he had um, really concentric layers of, of students you know people who were in the center of things and people who were hanging on and when I say in the center I mean physically in the center around the table mm -hmm. and then people who were listening from the margins oh interesting uh, yeah I don't mean just metaphorically on the margins wow. they were like so it's like a, it was like a like a coliseum yeah yeah situation. basically he, or like the he, surgery he, the like old timey yeah. <laughs> surgery where people are just mm, yeah. that's right he, well he'd call the people on the outskirts uh, pond scum and you can pay a lower rate to be pond scum. So, so you were either at the table or out at pond scum. But I was, I had moved on before he started doing that. When I, when I joined, it was just a tiny, tiny group, and then it got a little bit bigger. And then I went to uh, grad school pretty, like after a year and a half or something, because it, when you're as young as I was, a year and a half seemed like a long enough with one teacher, right? And then I came back from grad school and uh, reconnected with Chuck. And uh, those guys were still meeting on their own. Chuck right. and Susie Vitello and, and uh, some other people. Chelsea Kane had joined by them. Mm -hmm. And um, so then I rejoined with them. And, and that's the group where you could say oh, pretty much everybody sold a book. Right, right, right. Um, that's, that's what I was thinking. Cheryl Strayed was in that one for a while. She was not a Tom Spandauer uh, writer, but she joined us and then she wrote Wild. And Chelsea was not a Spandauer writer, but she joined the group. and. But there is something too, and I'm, I've always I've been trying to put my finger on this because when I read you or I read Chelsea Kane or I read Chuck Connick, mm -hmm. there's always I can't put my finger on it. There's something like it's not the same, but there's some kind of thing that you guys are doing well, to each other's manuscript like, yeah. that, that makes it come out. I'm trying to think of a word that kind of is better than the same because it's not the same. Well, right? I feel like our voices are all really different on the page. Yeah, like, exactly. Susie Vitello's is very different than mine, and mine's different than Chuck's, and Chuck's is different than Chelsea's. The precision of the it, is a, it is a kind of precision, and it's, um, you know, Tom is very, he, he, Tom can be a lot of things, and I don't mean to minimize by saying he's just one thing, but one thing that he is, he can bring a lot to a manuscript, but one thing that he does is he can be very prescriptive. So there are times where he will completely sort of rewrite a sentence for somebody, like unpack wow. it and extend it, or at least in the old days he did. And if you if you were to take all of his um, advice to heart or to listen too closely, you could run the risk of sounding just like Tom. Um, but what you learn is a certain way of thinking at thing, of things. Like I just actually recently saw uh, Craig Clevenger had some, did you read 
Craig Clevenger's thread on here? I did. He had a great uh, Twitter thread where he just oh, okay. laid out all of his writing advice uh, mm -hmm. yesterday or the That's day before. Awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. But some of the things were things that, that we, we, we hold tightly to as well. And they might just be general good writing advice. But um, Are they secrets? Can you tell me? No, they're not secrets. I mean, like I said, he just poured them all out on this Twitter thread, which is fantastic. But, but there's some things like, um, like just cutting back. Like if someone uses the word, I saw, right? I saw the dog cross the room. You just say the dog cross the room. Oh, because exactly. by the fact of, of, of calling it out, then obviously the speaker has seen it, right? And so little things like that just when make I a do, sentence stronger. When I do freelance, sometimes I see people say, I, the person uh, moved their eyes toward something. Exactly. And I'm like, why? <laughs> and I think it's because they're thinking cinematically, right? Yeah. It's yeah. because they're, yeah. they've seen, they see right. movies and they're thinking of somebody right. moving their eyes. But that's one of the least interesting well, things. Well, if, if you ever see like um, police reports, like when police have actually written up a report, I love police reports. Like I love things like that where they're handwritten. And um, but often they'll write, and no offense to any police out there, but uh, they'll write um, like blue in color. And I always think, what else would it be blue in? Like mood. Right? Like, what else have we got? His aura. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Blue in energy. Right, right, right. In music. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the um, perp felt. Orange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So little things like that. You just, yeah. you just, it just, you just get to be a tighter writer by saying, yeah, blue is always a color. Sure. When you, when you, when you mention something, you've generally looked at it, mm -hmm. um, unless we know otherwise the character is not visually, you know, using their visual so senses. How much time will you yeah. spend? I'm sorry if this is too many writing no, it's questions, because okay. um, yeah, writing questions are good. But I'm, I'm letting a little secret go. But the more. I don't always ask writing questions on this thing, but the more I like the writer, I tend to ask more. Oh, nice. I think so. Um, so, how long would you spend on like a particular sentence, or is it just, or is it just sometimes you'll see one that just bugs you, and you have to focus on that? I one read my or? work over and over and over yeah. and over, and I probably take too long um, mm -hmm. doing it. Like I could, I could do. You know, the advice is always like. Uh, Tom uses this phrase, which is uh, his own gross phrase, and it's not mine, but he'll right. say, shit out the whole lump of coal, right? right? That's Tom's fan bar thing. Right. Um, so I should probably do that, mm -hmm. right, with each piece, but instead I get hung up on little sections, mm -hmm. and I kind of, uh, every time, like, every time I read the first page of something, I, I go back to tinkling with the sentences and tightening and making sure they sound the way I want them to right. sound. Right. So it's a, so I'm, you know, I'm a slow writer that way, but, um, but I think it's important. Well, at least you haven't put out anything shitty. So thank you. I mean, yeah. That? Well, you know, I was at um, the Swanee Writers Workshop one year a long time ago, and um, Tim O'Brien was there. Is that the things we carry? The, the things they carry. Yeah. Read that. Was okay. It, is that a war book or? It's, is it a... well, it's a book. It's also a story. It's oh, about okay. Vietnam. Okay. And the things they carried is about um, the emotional weight, psychological weight of being in that war, but it's oh, okay. also about. Um, physically the things they carried, right? So who's carrying what through the jungle, sure, but um, sure. but what it means, like who's got the broken heart and who screwed up and his men got killed, and, okay. uh, and they'll carry those things forever, right? Oh. But um, it's a wonderful story and it's been anthologized probably ever since it was written, I don't know. You know, it's been anthologized for years and it's used in a lot of writing classes and I just can't think of a more uh, solid example of a contemporary short story that has been uh, well received and should be considered finished Right. And when I saw um, Tim O'Brien read from it in Swanee, um, he was editing it. I saw him. Uh, I saw him at the podium, crossing oh. out lines and moving sentences. That's and crazy. I thought, this stuff never ends. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, exactly. I can't. I really can't think of a story that's more uh, done. You yeah. know. Yeah. But he's still in there. He's yeah. still in there. So every time I do that, I think, 
it's gonna go on forever. You have to eventually just kill you it. Have to, you have to do it, but at the same time, give yourself permission if you wanna mm. move them around for a while, you know? Yeah, I think that the way I'm trying to do it now is maybe like a little bit of both. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there are ones that I'm putting out that I'm just like, I, I think it depends on kind of how much I care about the particular story. Does that make sense? Like if it's something that's sort of closer to me, I take you a should care about all of them, right? I guess, yeah. but I don't. I don't. It, it I don't love them all equally. I, I think writing gets so much better when you tinker with the sentences. You know, yeah, you can move yeah. little things around, and um, like when you look at like you know Flannery O'Connor's stories. Mm -hmm. It always feels like she really knows what she's doing and she chopped a bunch out, right? Because mm -hmm. it feels mm -hmm. nice and tight. It moves sure, along. Sure. It's so yeah. tight. And I always think, like, well, that's the goal, yeah. uh, too. And it's just good. You look at it again, you're like, I can just cut six sentences out of this page and mm -hmm. turn this one around, and all of a sudden it's just yeah. moving so yeah. much better. Then uh, you don't just want a bunch of words on the page. You know, that's sure. fine for, for one round. Mm -hmm. But, uh... Um, but I think it's hard. I think it's hard with writing, you know, there's that balance between the short term and the long term, the short work and the long work, you know, the, the, the story and the novel or the essay and the, and the book, but also um, it's in a similar way, the, the, the sentence and the plot, and mm -hmm. you really need to hit both, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's good advice. Yeah, it's hard. I think it's hard. Yeah, yeah no, it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. super hard. Yeah, because I guess, I guess where I kind of, I was trying to also get to a point where I'm just like, okay, I'm done with this thing and it's yeah. going out. And, Goodbye. And then I started thinking, like, I don't know, I started thinking about whether or not we're our own best judges of our work, you know? Because I started realizing that things that I just wrote a little, like, was having fun when I wrote it and put it out were doing a lot better than the things that I sort of slaved over. Oh, okay. So yeah. I was like, what's the best? Because yeah. I'm still coming at it from a point of view where um, well, I'm kind of getting to a point where I just want to get like a regular job so I can kind of work on books without any kind of fear of any sort of money issues. Yeah. But for yeah. a while there, I was trying to make a good, good try at making money. Making a living at it. And um, yeah, it's just kind of, well, it's impossible. <laughs> it's, it's almost impossible. I know. Um, but uh, yeah, so I basically was just, for a while there, I was like, if I could just write faster and put out more mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. um, and then my head started getting all fucked up because people started liking those better. Mm. I was mm -hmm. like, mm. So I don't know what to make of that. Well, maybe they were more playful or more, more fun. You know, sometimes stuff can get hammered to death. You just keep pounding it out, trying mm -hmm. to make it work. It can be like a smudge drawing, right? It has that feeling you've just dragged your hand over it too mm -hmm. many times. But anyway, yeah, so I'm definitely going to try to get into And now I'm really excited because they have online courses and things like that. So. Where are you going to take an online course? I'm going to do the corporeal, I think. Oh, okay, I see. The, they, the, I didn't know she was doing yeah, that. Yeah, I'm okay. starting to do it. Uh, Andy Mingo's doing uh, screenwriting stuff. On, oh, wow. On so I want to nice. get in there and maybe some Lit Reactor ones, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Lit Reactor does mm -hmm. some pretty good you I taught. I taught once through Lit Reactor a very yeah. long time ago. Yeah. 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 yeah, I did like two or three of those, and that was, that was I was in Bizarro classes. Oh, fun. So I taught people about the wild uh -huh. and wonderful world mm -hmm. of Bizarro. Mm -hmm. uh, so are you, uh, what are you working on now? Is it a, cause I am working on a, it's kind of a memoir. It's a, I've taken a bunch of the essays that have already been published, and then I've written uh, probably twice as many again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm knitting them all together and tightening it down. And uh, I'm not, I, I really like the way it's coming together. I don't know if anyone else will. We'll see, you know, I hope people, that's my hope, right? There's yeah. always that insecurity. Right. But, um, yeah, I hope people like it. I hope yeah. people like it. But that's what it is. It's, it's essays built into a memoir. And it started out as a collection of essays, but um, 
as with my last book, Folly, I wasn't really content to just have them next to each other. I, I want them mm -hmm. in conversation with each other. Right. So then I started kind of knitting them together and erasing some and adding some more. And mm -hmm. It's just getting more and more into a unified thing. Do you have any like He's crazy idea, like science fiction stuff that you... That you think about that you oh like, I do oh, all the time yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, I saw this coolest bit of news today did you see that that uh, was uh, companies are hiring science fiction writers to envision the future to help their product development that is pretty cool um, but also it kind of makes me wonder in general about like a lot of sci-fi recently seems kind of dystopian in a way so <laughs> it's kind of like I don't really know if maybe they're the best people that it's like oh no it, it seems a little the, delusional doesn't it to think you're going to hire writers and they're oh, going to help listen you listen to this I heard this uh, I can't remember where I heard this I was listening to a different podcast so sorry I'm stealing this but it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time I think that as far as technology goes we should stop yeah we should just be done so we don't have the robo Apocalypse. Well, I mean, it's just... I mean, why don't we stop so the robots don't yeah. take over? Oh, Everyone's that. saying, oh, so, the robots are going to take over, and then let's keep going. Right, right, right. It wasn't a podcast. I was reading a book by uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, okay. The Black Swan and stuff okay. like that. So I was reading a book called Fooled by Randomness, which uh -huh. is about probability and how we tend to ascribe story to things that are actually random. And um, he basically was talking, it was on sort of a little bit of a tangent, but he was talking about how technology should have stopped in, like, 1990. Um, and Why? So we just had big old phones, big old right, cordless phones? Right, right, right. Everything was pretty much okay. Yeah. And, you know, we tend to think that progress is, or that it is even progress. Right, right, right. right. And I kind of see that more and more because my big thing is Facebook, right? right? Yeah. I got Facebook right when I went into college, so that was 12 years ago now. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. at a certain point, it's going to be really creepy because at a certain point, I'll have had it for half of my entire life. Yeah. There's a really tough thing to explain to some people that it's this big looming thing that I've tried to leave and I keep coming back to but yeah I don't, I don't think that social media is good I don't think that a lot of the things I think when we had flip phones that should have been it you could play snake on it well I can tell you my daughter is 12 mm -hmm. and uh, almost 13 and I got Facebook when she was an infant mm -hmm. And I cannot imagine being a mother home alone with a baby without social media. Mm, it revolutionized the oh, isolated right, sure, mother. Yeah, <laughs> Isn't enough, that weird? Yeah, I realized yeah. how it was a whole different thing. For um, uh, I was up all the time. People would always say, you're always awake. And it's like, I got a crying baby. Yeah. I got a crying baby here. I'm awake all the time. And I'm talking to you. I'm talking right. to everybody. You know, it was so fun. <laughs> it was so fun. That's I was true. like, yeah. me and my baby and whoever's right. out there in the world. Right. Uh, but I think what's important to, to realize is that I don't like it. So it should probably go away. I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like kidding. it either. It's an addiction <laughs> and it should go away. It should go away. <laughs> all these a, bad things. I have a bad tendency to do that where it's like, I don't like this thing. So it shouldn't exist. And it's like, well, I think technology should move forward. But I think we should move forward um, with some wisdom, for fuck's sake. Yeah, like, yeah, what's yeah, wrong yeah. with people? I'm sure you know this already, but all technology has been driven by pornography and war, right? Yeah. It's all pornography and war, including the printing press, mm -hmm. right? Printing Bibles, but printing little pornographic cards. Right. That was the cards are the ones that drove it forward. But I think maybe we need to evolve past that mm -hmm. and realize that beyond pornography and war, we have a big old crisis. You know, yeah. we're in a global crisis, sure. and uh, we could actually use technology to take wise steps. Mm -hmm. But we're still like these Neanderthals or something. I don't know what it is. We're just we're just, we're not developed. Oh, nailed it. Uh, nailed it. We have a million-year-old brain, yeah, and we have. 
ten-year-old technology. Yeah. We're really yeah. like we're not meant to understand these things. The people who come up with this stuff. Are but I mean, knowledge. even things like the electric car. Sure. Right. I mean, we all saw who killed the electric car, and now there's a sequel. And it's like, well, why don't we double back? Because that might have been a good idea. I think so. And, uh, and, and just different things that could be actually helpful. Instead, mm -hmm. we're just like pushing ahead, creating more crap we don't need. Right. Um, and making technology into kind of the enemies. Yeah. 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 I, saw, I saw that they're, now they have, uh, they're making VR porn for like yeah. headsets. Yeah. Which is like you said, it's probably VR was invented in exactly. the first place. It's like, exactly. This is HD. It's 1080. P, 4K, whatever. Yeah. This is the best picture I've ever seen on my computer. But what if it was attached to my face? You, you can you can uh, probably do heart surgery with it across the English yep. Channel, or just have a big old porn uh, yeah. existence. Yeah, yeah. Which, either yeah. one, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Uh, do you do any gardening? Because I've been kind of taking an interest in starting a garden. I love gardening. I'm not good at it. I'm yeah. too impatient. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be my problem too. I just, I took out my whole lawn because it had been taken over with blackberries. I actually had to pay somebody Those to help dig all the ass. blackberries out. Yeah. And I went to get new grass seed and I was so happy. I was going to have a perfect lawn, but yeah. I, I don't, uh, I don't want to the kind of grass that needs a lot of maintenance or water, right? right. Especially water awareness. Sure. So I got an experimental uh, pack experimental to me, I guess. Mm -hmm. I went to this kind of cool business over on Ankeny Street. It's a uh, run by women, and uh, they sell different kinds of seeds to basically get us away from the standard American lawn. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have these nice field grasses and these other things. And so I bought this mix, and um, and I couldn't identify a single thing when it came right. up. So I let it grow because I needed to see what was there, right? right. And so I let it grow too far, apparently. But the only thing that came in are a bunch of weeds. Tight. And uh, <laughs> so I had a whole yard full of weeds again. So nice. that's kind of my. Uh, I, can, yeah. I see that's my future too. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a good faith effort, but I 100% know that that's what's gonna. Happen. I think if I could have identified the plants as yeah. they came in, I might have been able to get a handle on it. Right. But um, because I was just, it was an experiment. I was like, I'm just watching. Right. And uh, it took over. Now yeah. It's I'm gonna. Uh, crap. I, I found a place in El Paso that I'm gonna volunteer at when I get there. And it's like a permaculture mm -hmm. farm type thing. Yeah. I just want, I'm really like, I don't know why, I think it's just, all of a sudden, I think like global warming and that shit like really clicked for me. Yeah, well you're moving to Texas, so that's going to be sad. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be severe. It's gonna be hot as hell, but I think, I don't even, I don't remember what it was that I was watching or what yeah. I was reading or whatever, yeah. but it all of a sudden clicked like, oh shit, this is actually real. It's horrible. I've been but I've worried been about sides. it for 20 some years. I've been on both sides because I wasn't, yeah. you know, yeah. it just, it, it wasn't clicking to me. You yeah. Know? You hear so because you don't want to believe it. So when you hear the scientists and things mm -hmm. like that, the, the two people who say that it's not real, yeah. like, oh, it's yeah. the natural, yeah. the, the, yeah. whatever. Yeah. You're like, okay, that's much more comfortable. Like, right. I'll go with right. that. And something eventually clicked and I'm like, oh shit, we're all gonna die. I tend to be cautious. Like I tend to be cautious and want to cut things off if they're gonna be a problem. You know what I mean? Like if somebody says, if you keep doing this, you're gonna have high cholesterol, I try to stop doing it. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm not like, oh, my cholesterol's fine. You know what I mean? I try to stop doing it. Sure. Uh, and back in the 90s, I thought a lot about climate change and I did mm -hmm. not know why people, you know, I wish Al Gore had won. Yeah. We, we, that was our big chance. Oh, wow. I never really, about that it was. Either. That was our big chance. The yeah. '90s. The last really positive environmental news was mid '90s. Whoa. Look up positive environmental news. It'll take you to the mid '90s. Well, most of it, yeah, most of it on the side of people who are. Did you ever listen to that um, podcast that I think was it NPR? Shit Town. 
Oh, yeah. No, I didn't really listen to that. It was a neat little series, yeah. but that, the main character is, it's weird, mm-hmm. character, he's a real human. He wasn't mm-hmm. a real human being. Mm-hmm. His character was sure. Uh, his big thing was climate change, uh-huh. and so uh-huh. like I think it might have been that like listening to him, even though he was kind of an insane person, I was like this guy. He, in the show, he ends up killing himself because mm. he's so overwhelmed by yeah. a lot yeah. of things. But yeah. one of them is global climate change, and um, I think that got me to start to look into it a little bit more. And it's just like I, I don't like feeling like I can't do anything, and it's easy to feel really hopeless yeah. when you look at that kind yeah. of shit. So I don't know. I started because I don't want to be a... Well, our number, the number one thing we can do to pull carbon gases out of the air would be to plant hemp. You know, we just have hemp everywhere. Hemp is the number one carbon um, absorbing, um, you know, plant, basically. Uh, it doesn't take any technology. And, you know, I mean, you know the story of hemp, right? It used to be on everything. Our, right, everything right. was written on hemp. Our the, money was on was hemp. a printing press that was invented that could... Am I doing this right? I, the way the way I heard it was that Hearst wanted to print paper on pulp, and they found a cheap way to print paper with hemp, and so they had already been printing it on hemp for a right, long time. Right. Yeah. Right. And so the, yeah. all the reefer madness stuff yeah. came out of. Well, I think it was that. I think it was also the sugar industry, and I think it was also t- tobacco. There were a, there were a oh, number of that. different industries that, um, you know, because hemp can replace. Uh, just about everything out there. It can replace um, things in levels of nutrients. It can replace um, this land. You know, it's, it was a, in the south. Uh, the, a lot of hemp would have been farmed in the south back mm-hmm. in the early days of this country. But uh, I didn't know it was were, such a versatile. Oh yeah. Thing. yeah, they can make rope. You know, the strongest mm-hmm. ropes they last longer than any rope we have now. It's like a really solid fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also eat it. You can put it in your smoothies. You can put it in lotion. You can use it for just anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. but um, but there are a lot of reasons it became illegal. And just like any kind of anything in the in the in the drug industry, it's easy to demonize, but it's sure. not actually even a drug. You know, sure. it's just a close close kin. But um, but I think that we should really consider it. And I'm not a I'm not a like I said I'm terrible at gardening. I don't even know what I put in my lawn. It came up crazy. <laughs> but um, but I think we should just try. Like we're in desperate straits. Like let's just throw hemp everywhere. Why not? Sure, why not? Because yeah. the only thing it can do, I didn't know this, but it can actually cause trouble for for pot growers. Oh, and I didn't realize that. I thought I was thinking like oh great pot's legal. We're gonna get on the road to getting hemp fields, which will absorb carbon out of the air. Um, but I realize pot growers actually don't want hemp around because it can alter their plants somehow. Oh, interesting. I, I don't know any, much about that, but that's what I was hearing. I don't either, but yeah. now I'm going to probably go So they're, they're not friend, friendly crops, right, you know? Right, they, right, right. Or they use this, maybe do they use like the same nutrients or something? I or think it's just that somehow they can cross-pollinate or something oh, and undermine the quality of, of the drugs. The strains. Yeah, the sweet exactly. Strains. exactly. I don't know about you, I don't know if you smoke pot or not, but since they started opening up stores, my whole thing about why I never smoked pot growing up was because I hate drug dealers. Yeah. I never liked dealing yeah. with like, drug yeah. dealers. So as soon as it was legal, I was like, cool, I'll go check it out. And I was immediately just like put into a headlock by like the weed god and given like all the swirlies and like thrown <laughs> out the window. And I was just abused and abused by, by the weed. It's just insanely strong. Because it was so, way too strong. Yeah, exactly. But they have all kinds of other things too. I was, uh, I just went to my dentist. And um, had a long talk with a dental hygienist about different kinds of pot for teeth for people who clench their teeth. Or, really? Um, yeah. And uh, 
I swear everyone in the dentist's office is making their own tea or oils That's or awesome. lotion. Yeah. Um, everyone's got it at their own level. Like right. whatever level you want to get in, well, they it's like have 100% good for you, right? The, like, you say it is or isn't? It is, right? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but um, <laughs> this one one woman down there said that her 98 year old mom. Mm -hmm has always taken the lower leaves off the plants and Fine. made her own tea. And she just wants a cup of tea before she goes to bed. Oh, and uh, at 98, she's still sleeping solid through the night when most yeah, no people shit. get up. Probably, <laughs> yeah, probably so, yeah. <laughs> it was an interesting uh, dentist uh, appointment. Uh, everyone was just sharing their, um, where yeah. they're where they're at, like where their levels. Do you know Dennis what I mean? I was yeah. I was interested. I was interested in all of it. I yeah. was like, wow, maybe I need that tea now. Just that right. little light tea. Right. Right. Just the right. worst leaves off the plant. You could just yeah. go yeah, to a dealer yeah. and say, can I just have your bottom cuts there? Whatever no, those exactly. little those little exactly. pieces are. That's exactly what I was saying. I was like, could I get could I get your like dirt? You know, yeah. what you would consider yeah. like the one. Can, can I get the one for babies? <laughs> well, I, I just saw one? that. Um, uh, a company has just bought a town in California. Did you see that? No. They bought a town in California and they want to turn it into a pot um, tourist destination. They want to make oh, the whole town like a pot uh, Disneyland. Wow. But um, the first thing that they're doing, they're, there's only 120 people living in the town right now, but it's a bunch of land. Mm -hmm. But the first thing they said they were doing was making a, a pot infused water. Whoa. And that's basically like that. Uh, elderly woman's tea right okay, it's just yeah, uh, right. cold right that would be awesome it's, it's just like, like a gatorade water. just like oh man yeah. so thirsty <laughs> it'd be funny too if you like got too high and you were in this town and you're like is there anything that's not pot well they're probably so using those they're the probably using bed. those bad leaves i mean they're probably They'll using probably, the cheapest because yeah. they're because they just bought the town they probably need to uh, get some money so they're like let's just take the worst yeah pieces and mix it with a lot of water maximum right. water that makes sense that'll start our tourist destination yeah that's so interesting but they did not buy weed you know there's a town in california called weed i did not know that. oh yeah weed that's awesome weed is down there but um that is i thought that that's why i looked at it because i thought did they buy weed i saw this tweet that was like it was towns in west virginia uh-huh and it was just like it was a google maps picture and somebody had tweeted, what is going on in West Virginia? And the town's names there are like Elbow, Gunk, uh -huh. like, <laughs> like Pecker, like just random, <laughs> random words, you know? And I was like, I, that's just, I just get bored. Yeah. Like that, because it's not real towns, it's right. areas, right. you know? Right, but, right, right. Uh, but yeah, no, that's always, that, that's fun. But, um, where was I going with that? I can't even remember now. We're talking about weed. Yeah. Well, anyway, they bought a town. They're making it. They want to make oh, it a, right, 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 a pot right. capital. Is their goal? So. Yeah. But I, I just think hemp is the climate change. It's oh, the, that's right. It's We're like the, it's like yeah. the, the the working person, layperson's climate change solution. If we could just throw pot in every alley and and mm -hmm. uh, driveway, why not? You know, who cares yeah. about these little manicured lawns? Like for at least for, yeah. for a while, let's just see what we can do. Because there are a lot of people who say, oh, it's too late. We can't do anything now. Well. You know, a hero tries from where we are, right? Exactly. You just exactly. work from where you are and see what you can contribute instead never, of giving up. I never understood that. Yeah, I never understood like the doom and gloom. Yeah. The you know, it's it's you know, our minds are. We were just talking about how we're Neanderthals, but our minds are pretty incredible, and we can envision better yeah. things. And I, yeah. I I do think that there's the secret. Obviously, isn't like real, but there's there's power in thinking positively and not just laying back and becoming nihilists well, and, you know... Yeah, there, just... there are a lot of people that were... I mean, it's kind of the Trump crowd, I'm sorry to say, but it's kind of the Trump crowd that will argue 
reasons against any positive change. And I do think, like, why are they spending so much energy arguing against, you know, when they're not inventors, they're not scientists, they're not the ones doing this. Why are they, I had somebody argue with me once saying that basically we couldn't live without petroleum products because what would we put our sandwiches in if not those little Ziploc bags? And I thought, really? Because so I think you can do that. Yeah, <laughs> you can come up with. I know. It's paper, right? <laughs> well, it's plat. Those little. Yeah, you could put it in paper. You could mm -hmm. put it in a in a glass container. You yeah, know, <laughs> you could put it in a beeswax piece of cloth. That almost sounds like trolling at that point too, which is another mm -hmm. thing. Like with the politics mm -hmm. right now, I don't even know what people even really believe anymore. You know it was I mean? a it was a person I went to grade school with that was saying that, and I think he does believe it. I think he, uh, you know, he's a firm. Really. Oh yeah. I don't so, know where he's at right now because I quit following him, but, um... Because I, I read this book by, um, Angela Nagel called Kill All Normies. Uh-huh. It was actually, it's put out by Zero Books, which is in Portland, uh, they put out really, really nice. Are they over at Pinball Publishing? Do they sell their stuff over there? I'm not sure. It's Douglas Lane. Okay, I don't know. Okay. Um, he used to be in the Bizarro crowd, and now okay. he makes smart stuff for smart people. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> but, uh, but it's a really, really fascinating book, um, about the rise of the alt-right. Okay. And she connects it to 4chan. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. You're familiar with, yeah, with 4chan. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they, they kind of. Basically, I think what she's saying is that they don't actually have a belief in anything. Mm -hmm. That they're sort of like these weird chaos agent type yeah, people yeah. who just. You know, they're like the, the Joker in the Dark Knight or something yeah. like that. You know, that they don't have any real leg to stand on, they just want to buck the people, basically, which is scary, but it also kind of makes sense, you know, in a weird way. They kind of, there's a, there was a big backlash, I think, over the Obama years against, like, what they perceived as, like, liberals. The big yeah. thing that I see yeah. on the internet right now is people getting mad at something called SJWs. Do you know oh, what SJWs? They are social justice warriors. Oh. So there seem to be... The way it seemed to, to chart for me is somewhere in the early, like 1990, or not 1990, like 2009 or so, mm -hmm. like Tumblr was huge, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. people were, you know, gay marriage was almost legal, I think, and, you know, people were online and they were discovering who they were and they were creating in-groups and things like that, Yeah. and then they started sort of like policing people's speech uh -huh. in a certain way, uh -huh. you know what I mean? And I think that a lot of these people, these Trump people, are like backlash to that. They're big, like, don't tell me what well, to I do. Think, I think there's probably two schools. I mean, there's one, which are people who are who are outside of all that stuff, who are small town, who are whatever they are. You know what I mean? They're coming from a different place. Sure. Um, but then there's the group you're talking about, which I think comes from a, a little, maybe not always, but I think there is a more educated contingent to that, a more college con contingent. And I'm not saying one is even better than the other, but. Um, I think in some ways it is the right and the left swinging back, but but the, but the common thread for me is that it's mostly white people and it's sure. primarily men with a handful of women who think that hanging out with those men makes them cool. You know, I mean that's my that's what I that's yeah. what I've seen. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's some I don't I, there's some that are just like it makes you cringe. Like there's a guy on the right, his name is Mike Cernovich. Do you know who mm -hmm. this guy is? He wrote a book called Gorilla Mindset. Okay. Can you kind of I'm sure you can guess like where he's kind of coming from. I don't know. Men need to be men. Oh, right, 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 right. That kind of thing. So it's yeah. always, you know, and then you'll see a picture and... So these like the red pill or whatever? Yeah, the red pill, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll see pictures and it's, you know, dorks and fedoras who are like, you know, yeah, super alpha. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. So there's definitely yeah. like, there's yeah. weird back, like, 
Uh, Ladies, stay away from those men. Or, yeah. <laughs> somebody's, somebody's obviously, I think that's the thing too. I think that, I don't think that those guys are getting laid, you know? I don't think that they're getting girlfriends. I don't think that they're... Well, I looked I looked at a lot of that stuff. I mean, I just looked at like the whole incel community, you know, the, oh, yeah. the, that whole business. And it's just like, oh my God. Incels so, and ball cells too. What's that? Right, 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 right. It's all it's a sad business. I'm sorry, but um, you know, I teach college writing, and I get a lot of people through, and I still do believe that in the power of independent thought and uh, well considered sentences, you can regain a sense of your genuine self that isn't mm-hmm. buying into a uh, really pretty tedious movement. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it'll pass. I don't. I, I don't know. I think a lot of it is a is a is a backlash. You're describing it in certain terms, but the other terms that go with that, it's like a backlash to women's rights or mm-hmm. black rights or mm-hmm. you know uh, the, the rights of other people. Sure. Because a lot of I mean, we all know what's considered politically correct speech is speech where you don't hurt other people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it can be it can be confusing, obviously, but uh, it's not that hard to be kind. At the bottom line, you yeah, know. yeah, that's. Uh, kind of what I always, like, whenever I read people arguing, and I don't know why I read so much of it, but it is kind of fascinating to read, like, back and forth on Twitter and stuff like that. It's like, why is everybody, like, so nasty yeah. to each other? You know? Yeah. Like, why are yeah. you so vicious? Well, it is so weird, because I jump on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, mm-hmm. and I have some of the same people that I see, and, like, Facebook, everyone's pretty interesting, at least on my, my I like the people that I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't follow anyone that I don't, I'm not interested in. And then Twitter, everyone is so fucked up. They're oh, yeah. just horrible. And then I go to Instagram, and it's like, my God, you're at a gorgeous picnic. Yeah. Where are you tweeting that shit from, right? right, 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 right. It's like, it looks so pretty. Yeah, Your life no, exactly. looks so That's pretty. Yeah. Where did yeah, all yeah. that mean stuff? How did that yeah, happen? It's just about, it is, it's, like diff, it's like playing different games, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like putting on different helmets. It's like everybody has to strap in when they're going into Twitter, and they're like, oh. It's so weird to go over to Instagram, and it's just peaceful and gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's like one beautiful picture after another. in front of like a babbling brook yeah. and stuff like that, and then the same person is like all ball cells must die scum you know? like you literally tweeted that a crazy disconnect yeah, yeah. You, know, you tweeted that from your yoga mat you know? but uh yeah no that's yeah and facebook to me is um i remember that a few years ago it came out that facebook was experimenting on certain users right and, like right, showing right. negative content to see yeah. if it affected their mood yeah. And I think I might be Facebook's, like, number one experimental <laughs> dude because everything I see on there, I just had to, I go back and forth, and I know that people get tired of hearing me, uh, you know, whine about it, so I don't that much anymore, but I just yeah. like, keep, like, shutting it off and going yeah. away from it. And yeah. It's just, I get really oddly, like, defensive yeah. on it. Like, are people, fuck, like, are you fucking with me on this thing, you know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, Facebook, it's, it's, it was so interesting a little bit earlier in our conversation to hear that Facebook has been like a net positive for you. Would you say that like over... Well, I waste my time on it. Okay. If I didn't waste my time, it would be positive. It's positive. And it was definitely positive when my daughter was little because, you know, not to get too serious about this, but women who have babies and get stuck at home with their babies can get so alienated and so isolated. Mm-hmm. And I never went through that because I had like everybody I needed to reach within yeah. the computer, you know, arm's length. And, right, right, uh, right. 
and I think that just changed what it means, you know, to be a mom with a new child. Yeah. And that's why I got on it, because I was home with her and I was awake. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, let's download this thing, let's jump on this site. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and now I'm on it in this kind of, you know, like you, you know, this kind of conflicted, almost addict's relationship of like, yeah. how do I get away from this? But everybody, you know, I still get information there and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but I think it was really great with a tiny little baby because yeah. I could yeah. be I could be singing lullabies or um, feeding my child, and then I could go over and just type something that was actually my personality that right. wasn't um, right. just in the... service of, yeah. of parenting. And I love parenting, but. Um, mm -hmm. You can get kind of stuck in just putting the same socks on over right. and over, you know. Now, does your kid have like to do the social media thing, or do she you does? Put rules on she that does. Anything, I'm or? I'm pretty lenient with it. She's right. a smart kid, and she's responsible. She yeah, I think she can. I hope she can. I'm I'm pretty lenient, but she's she kind of polices herself. She's got a, a good nature that way, and um, I I think I've, this summer in particular, I've let her. Uh, she's really in love with YouTube. Mm -hmm. She. I noticed that my uh, my nephew, who's like eleven or twelve, loves yeah. YouTube too. Doesn't yeah. even really go on social media at yeah. all. But he no. loves. Like, my he daughter loves, like, watching uh, video games where people play the games oh, yeah. and talk. She went through all of those. Yeah. Wow. Personalities, and I think those personalities make a big. They're like DJs, but for gaming, mm -hmm. and they're funny, and they're smart, and they play those games, and the kids just watch them. Mm -hmm. um, there's one called I loves. I, no, I I has cupquake. My daughter, <laughs> I has Cupquake. I watched her cool. for a year because yeah. my daughter was watching her. Right. Uh, she's just somebody who changes her hair color and her, she got her boyfriend on and now her boyfriend's her husband and they play these games together on YouTube and they seem to make a lot of money at it somehow. I've seen some people like PewDiePie yeah. who makes like, yeah. five million dollars yeah. a year yeah. just by talking, for, which is crazy. Like. I felt like really super out of the loop because I'm a dork and I just like I'm reading my books and and then I realized there's this huge they're making a ton of money Twitch like yeah. people go on they do Twitch streams and yeah they they play and it you know it makes sense like I started making fun of it at first and then I saw a little cartoon that made it make sense to me mm -hmm. because it was somebody watching somebody play a video game they said why are you watching that you're not even playing and then they showed somebody watching a basketball game. It was like, why are you oh, that's that? you're hilarious! Not, you're not even yeah, playing. yeah. And I was like, oh, makes sense. That makes that, that is that, funny. That, that makes sense. Well, when my daughter was small, she did. Um, you, I think you actually. She started a YouTube channel in my name, and some people followed me, which oh, you, really? I think, might have been one of them. Oh, nice guy. Um, and I was a little bit embarrassed because it wasn't me. Right. You know what I mean? But it was my daughter doing um, how to play. Um, some games she liked back then, which was a very safe little game mm -hmm. um, put out by the Nature Conservancy or somebody. Um, I don't know what it was. I don't remember what it was. But anyway, she did some how-to videos, and it was amazing how many followers she reached, or how many views it would get, yeah. just on how to sort of uh, get through this game, how to get to the next that's level, so or whatever was happening. Yeah. And um, and that's that was a number of years ago now. That was probably before he moved here, so yeah. say four years ago, and, and uh, she's 12 now, so maybe she was eight. But she had such a nice little voice, and she'd describe it and articulate mm -hmm. it. was like being a teacher. Right, right, right. And, uh, and now she uh, fell into a, a loop. She watched a few how-to-do makeup videos. And uh, and so then YouTube started recommending more makeup tutorials. And now she's like a makeup artist. She knows that's all the cool. tricks. She just watched them all this summer. And See, she, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, she can go to Ulta and pick out all kinds of stuff, give me some advice. I don't wear, you know, the kind of le level of makeup that she's doing, but she's, uh... She's got it down, yeah, you know. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, was, it was crazy because yeah, I remember uh, randomly Rios works at a bank and she met uh, this guy who's from Korea 
course, Rios is obsessed with all things Korea, including the people. Yeah. So this guy invited us to a party at his place, and he, him and his friend were from Korea, and they were in America to make YouTube videos about weed, right? And so it was this party, but everybody at the party was like a YouTube yeah. person. Yeah. And so, you know, I was talking to these people who were like, you know, like 17, 18 years old, and they were showing like their channels, and they have like, uh -huh. something like 50,000, 60,000 followers. See, if we were smart, we should get on here. Some Dude, of them have like I'm half saying, a million. I'm saying, and they don't seem, you know, some of them do really good stuff. Some yeah. of them don't seem to do all that much. Like right. my daughter, for a while, she just loved people who were basically just living their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, like it would be us doing this yeah. no, on a YouTube channel. Like a camera. But she would just take an affection for somebody's family or whatever. I don't. I couldn't even understand why she focused. <laughs> why watch this family? Why watch this? Um, yeah. You know. What's like, uh, did you ever read Reality Hunger, that David Shields book? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so mm -hmm. even, this was like a 2000, I think. I remember that now, yeah. He was yeah. talking about how, you know, he, um, he led to, his, his, well, his book wasn't responsible for it, but that kind of school of thought led to, like, Sheila Heaney, I think he mm -hmm. how you read, like, she had that really great book, uh, like, How to Be a Person. Yeah. But it's basically writing as, uh, as, as, like, almost journalism, you know, mm -hmm. documenting life very, yeah, very realistically, yeah, yeah. but also including, like, unattributed quotes mm -hmm. and things Yeah, 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 there are a couple other people that did that, too. Cut, yeah, cut, yeah. And cut up and stuff yeah, like that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think that the natural progression from that is, like, storytelling, but it's actually just it's YouTube. It's well, like it's like reality TV. But, but even, like, more real, right? Because, like, at this point, I don't think anybody Right, because it's not, because it's not, uh, it doesn't have a big industry behind it. Mm -hmm. It's got somebody's... My daughter loves these families where a girl, much like herself, is homeschooled mm -hmm. and they travel uh, to the Bahamas and they stay in a Four Seasons right. and they film the whole thing and they have a half a million viewers. I mean, yeah. it, it creates this other kind of life where right. she's just like, that could be a thing that mm -hmm. we could do, right? And it doesn't even have to, like, what's so interesting, because I've been thinking about this in terms of drama and writing and things like that. Yeah. Where, um, I was realizing today, because tonight I have a bunch of books lined up that I have like the last 10 pages to finish. Okay. Uh, because I have weird anxiety about finishing books. Yeah. Not because I don't <laughs> like them, but like I don't like the concept of it. And I feel like when I'm ending, if I have 10 pages left, I feel like, what if the world ends and I'm on the last page? You know what I mean? It's like, it's a weird anxiety thing. Um, so basically I was thinking about how I don't really like endings and I don't, I almost don't even really like conflict anymore and so it was interesting you said your daughter likes watching uh not necessarily conflict but just people sort of living yeah, their lives they just living, live their lives living different lives because that i realized i love at the beginning of books because i can get immersed into mm -hmm. a world mm -hmm. but then as soon as like the bad guy does something or mm -hmm. as soon as there's the married couple begins to fight or something like that, i become less interested in it it's almost. funny you'd say that about conflict because my my daughter is definitely you know developed a more sophisticated um uh, relationship to media than she had when she was tiny, but when she was really little, she only liked to watch Betty Boop, oh. old Betty Boop. Yeah. And one time she told me she liked Betty Boop because nobody got hurt. Mm -hmm. She said there are no bad guys. Yeah. And uh, everything else was like other cartoons. There were always bad guys. Coyote yeah. Like and and then uh, and then she got into some pretty dark, you know, interesting stuff, like, sure. but, but now she's back to mostly YouTube videos, and you're right, it kind of is that bounce back to where there, there are no real bad guys right. on those, there's and just was, cool stuff. I was thinking about Rios, too, like, she watches her K-dramas, which are basically so far yeah. filmed, and she will actually skip scenes with the bad guys doing their mm. evil plotting, uh -huh. and she's just like, I can't fucking stand yeah. it, like, they're so evil, I just don't want to watch them, do and I think that 
the turning point for both of us, I think, was actually watching Game of Thrones. Oh, which is so good. Game though. of Thrones. It's Love great, it. but it, it's, it's just grisly. Like, it's just eventually we were like, we it gets like really dark. Other, we Are you like, caught up on it? Yeah, I watch, yeah. yeah, I'm all caught yeah. up. So it, it all pays off, right? Right. Like this whole season's right. been right. great, and you know, it's just payoff after payoff after payoff. And, dragon battles and yeah cool <laughs> it's shit. so beautiful yeah, i love it super cool shit like when the dragon like first appears and just oh my destroys gosh. everything so like, great oh, it's so great. great but um but yeah no it is interesting that i'm kind of like noticing that people are sort of moving away from well, I know when I watched Breaking Bad, I had to keep jumping to Parenthood afterwards, mm. right? Parenthood is like the nice little um, Berkeley, right? The family in Berkeley with all the grown kids. Is it like a reality show? No, it's a, it's a, it's a, do you remember that Ron Howard movie, Parenthood? Yeah. It's yeah. a spinoff, basically, of oh, that. Cool. But it's just a family with a bunch of kids, and they're all in close mm. proximity. And they have these little bits of tension and drama, but they never bottom out, and they never hit right. too high. They, right. They're just real, real mid-range spikes, you know? Right. One character. There's one part where a character is uh, dating a, a black woman, and there's a moment where her family might not like him, or he might have looked a little bit uh, racist or something, mm -hmm. but it, mm -hmm. immediately they smooth it out. And it's just such right. a nice world where it's like, oh, they actually of... all love each other yeah. very, very yeah. quickly. Uh, it, it never goes anywhere, and it's just so comforting. and. Uh, uh, it's a fun show, but mm -hmm. it but it had that feeling like this could never end. Like this family will always be here, yes. and they will just be having their parties and um, sort of getting upset and sort of smoothing it over, and it will never <laughs> never get any worse. Kind of the and they're all so pretty. Right, yeah. right, yeah. No, it's like ABC yeah. Family. Like ABC yeah. Family is huge, but I remember uh, uh, most people that I know who watch ABC Family are not. They don't have families. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like the, the family in ABC Family is like surrogate. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what TV kind of is, right? I mean, that's kind of what it was. Wow. Like, did you know in the 50s there was a show called The Loud Family? Do you know about The Loud Family? Mm -hmm. I think it was in the 50s. It was sometime before I was around. Maybe, maybe I'm putting it too early. Maybe it was in the 60s. I don't know. But uh, The Loud Family was America's first reality TV show. And um, apparently they all fell apart on camera. One of the Whoa. sons came out as gay way back the then. 50s? Yeah, or, or 60s. I don't know. I might have the date wrong, yeah. but it was like That's 50s still, or 60s. Yeah. I might look it up, the Loud family. Okay. But um, they uh, their name just happened to be Loud, but the pressures of the cameras, you know, were too much for the family. And mm -hmm. now we're like in a different place where we've all evolved. Where people like are so used to having yeah. the cameras yeah. on their faces yeah. that it's almost like it would be second nature. Yeah, it was like too much for them to deal with deal with everything. Um, is it loud, like as in? Just like loud, like L O U D. It says in the loud family. But not the not the there was a Saturday Night Live jokes spinoff. But is yeah, it the original. An American was like, Family. That's probably it. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This was in. Let's see what year is this. It was uh, it's the 70s. It was, it was 71. Oh, no, that's not. I think it was earlier than that. Earlier? Okay. Yeah, there might be an earlier one. Maybe that's it. I just thought it was earlier. Because 71, I would have been around but not really watching TV. Yeah. Groundbreaking documentaries. Maybe that's it. the first reality oh, okay. series in American there it is. television. Yeah, I put yeah. it too early. Life of the Louds. The Life of the Louds. That's it. I've never heard about that. Mm -hmm. Is there anybody who's done anything with that? Like well, Saturday Night Live made jokes. I, I was Later I saw it on Saturday Night Live as a joke. You know, because yeah. loud is a name that uh, get, lends itself toward right. comedy. Right. Um, right. Yeah. But I don't know what they've done other than that. They all kind of. You can read that later. They all yeah, fell yeah. apart on camera. Yeah. Oh, actually, um, I can find it now. Let's see. Yeah. Let me see what goes, what's going on here. Let's see. I just want to see if there's legacy and influence. Nope. Synopsis. 
Lance Loud is credited as the first continuing character on television who is openly gay, and subsequently became an icon within the LGBT community. One of the most notable no moments in the series was when after 21 years of marriage, Pat asked Bill for a divorce and to leave the house. Pat's saying to her husband, you know, you know there's a problem. With Bill's response, what's your problem? Was chosen as one of the top 100 moments, legacy and influence. Oh, okay. The family was featured. It's the, it, there's an article in Newsweek called "The Broken Family." So that's probably like a whole, oh, okay. the whole thing about okay. the, yeah. about yeah. that falling yeah. apart. But yes, yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting, like um, that it's become so normalized now that it's just like that would never. I mean, people melt down all the time on camera. Yeah. Guess, well, but, now people love it. And but they have to. They have to make people do it. Like now, like when they do the Real World or Jersey Shore, or whatever, yeah. they get those people fucked up. Yeah. They give them bottles yeah. of vodka and say like, "Oh, and oh, and also, I heard she's cheating on you. Go, you know." Yeah. Just to. Yeah. Well, even there, it just cultivates an idea. Like it cultivates an idea of who we're supposed to be as humans and how we're supposed to yeah. deal with our lives. You know. What do you mean? I just mean, like, there are some people, I guess this is a recurring thought that I have, which is, like, what does it mean to be, say, male or female or young or white or, or black or anything else? And we get these ideas from um, the media, obviously. And there are, there are people that I see, um, I'm going to say women, who bring writing into my writing classes. And sometimes their writing just seems to be replicating a certain thin idea of what it means to be female. Do you know what I mean? They, I don't feel that, that, that they're actually engaged with who they genuinely are. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're reproducing uh, a media version of femininity. Oh, interesting. Wow. And I, 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 I may be wrong, but I just I just feel like they're, they, they bought into something. Mm -hmm. They bought into what has been sold to them. And sometimes with some of that drama, I feel like it's the same kind of thing. Um, you know, and on a personal level, I've been going through this horrible divorce for two years, mm -hmm. and it's just ridiculous levels of drama. Yeah. And personally, I don't think it needs to have that. Like, yeah. I feel like we could have just had a conversation. Mm -hmm. We could have made some clear decisions. We could be adult. We don't need to buy into drama like we right. see in um, TV. Do you see what I'm saying? Right, right, right. You just don't have to do it that way. Mm -hmm. But these shows reproduce these... Uh, certain tropes or certain dynamics that have to be played out a certain way and then when you go against the grain people don't always know what to do with it um, I agree. Yeah. and you know one of the things is in the class um, a year ago I brought in a Dorothy Allison story uh, called River of Names okay and it's a pretty rugged story it's about it's a thinly disguised kind of you know Dorothy Allison always walks a line between um, true and fact and fiction and her books, I don't know, do you know Dorothy Allison's books? Okay, so her first book, her, she had two books. One was called Trash and one was called Bastard Out of Carolina. I think Trash was first and Bastard Out, Out of Carolina was kind of the larger, um, one was small press and one was uh, larger press, but the second one used some material from the first one. Okay. It was like she was working it out. Sure, sure. But both of them tread over ground that has to do with being a, um, a poor, sexually abused, uh, battered, neglected, uh, southern white yeah. trash. That's why the name Trash, that's why the name Bastard out of Carolina. But um, Dorothy Allison herself, from, from all accounts that I can gather, grew up, that is, that is her upbringing, right? So she fictionalized elements of her own upbringing, yeah. and it was a hard one. It was about as hard as it can get. Mm -hmm. She, um, her, her mom, I think, if, if this is correct, the, uh, I think her mom was a 13-year-old, 
or a 15 year old mm -hmm. or something, mm -hmm. you know, young, too young, right. sure, sure. and had no education. So she was uh, the bastard child of an uneducated, poor white teen in Carolina, right? Yeah. So not a big, strong start to begin with. Exactly. And, and then yeah. she's in a family where people um, had a lot of kids, where people died, where people did dumb things, mean things, you know, horrible mm -hmm. things happened. Sure. So she's got this story, River of Names, which is about being an um, adult lesbian dating uh, partners who know nothing of that hard life and they want to know about her her childhood and she tries to tell them and they think her stories are funny or clever or exaggerated mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but what she's trying to say in the story the narrator of the story seems to be saying but this is real it's just fact you know it's just fact mm -hmm. so the story is kind of harsh because it, um, it as a river of names it's a river of um, children who have had horrible um, or or adult, even older people who died in, by violent means or mm -hmm. neglect or other assaults, right? So I, I, I shared this with my writing class late in the semester. We'd already talked about the role of the short story, the, the structure of the short story, the aims, and we'd read a lot of other work. We'd read John Cheever and, mm -hmm. you know, just a lot, of, a lot of good work. But I just thought, like, in the second to last class, we could bring in Dorothy Allison because she is, um, to me, to read her work, is permissive. It mm. says, whoever you are, you can put your words on the page. Like, if she can put that on the page, yeah. no, nobody has to buy into anything. Right. We can all just bust out and whatever whatever we want to say, there's room to say it. Yeah. So, um, a pack of uh, young women in my, in my class were, and maybe the two men that were in there too, it was a small class, it was only seven people, but they were really upset about the story. Really? Yeah, oh my god. Like they, the, 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 con the content. The content yeah. and the fact that I hadn't warned them, you know, that they read oh. this without a, tri without a trigger warning. And, um, and the fact that it was there at all. They didn't want it. And the thing is, Dorothy Allison, uh, it's a miracle that she grew up and found her voice. And I think she won a National Book Award. You know, she's, she's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's not like I found some mar some fringe uh, wadded up piece yeah, yeah, of paper yeah. with some naughty words on it. You know, sure. I mean, she's a serious writer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, I didn't really like their level of censorship. That, that, they, that they could not engage with the material as, as it came to them. That they had to be protected. That they had to protect themselves. And that I was suddenly a bad person for exposing right. them to... Uh, significant award-winning um, lesbian fiction and or just fiction sure. um, but I think part of this is kind of a long story just to come back to say I think part of what was happening there were there were some students in the class who ended up crying just crying just bawling I mean just crying and I and I offered tea and I offered to walk them to the counselor and I offered anything and I sort of went from I, I you know I felt very compassionate I didn't want anyone to be upset but it became very controlling of the class to have students in there who would not leave, who would not go to the counselor, who didn't want tea, who didn't want anything. They just wanted to sit there crying and showing how wounded they were. Do you feel like it was like a, a, a performative thing? I think for, it was. For, for I think it was a like bit a, of reality TV like coming into the classroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was exhausting. Right. And uh, so it's that line. Sorry, if I kick. No, no, it's no, that line between someone who's genuinely engaged with their own emotions mm -hmm. and having a hard time, which maybe they were, mm -hmm. but um, also the idea of a certain kind of protecting your own girlish femininity by being affronted yeah. and crying, but not looking for a, um, a a path out or a mode of dealing with sure. it. Right. Bringing that up is actually is really interesting because I have kind of a go-to story for something similar where um, 
when I lived in Oklahoma, I went to the campus Take Back the Night. Okay, yeah. Which, yeah, um, yeah. so we all lit our, our, our candles and mm -hmm. we walked through and uh, we, I can't remember if it was a silent walk or if there were ch was chanting. Anyhow, we eventually get to the steps of the student union. They have a bullhorn there, and all of these women are through the bullhorn. They're talking about their sexual assaults. Okay. Right. Um, which is labeled as being this cathartic experience. Yeah. But what I noticed when I was watching it is that they all begin to cry, and then the crowd begins to clap and yeah, cheer. Yeah. So they're rewarded. I for wonder what the Pavlovian thing that's going on in the science, like in their neurotransmitters, yeah. right? They're yeah. realizing they're getting a dopamine rush from performing a victimhood uh, victimhood right which is what our president's performing his own yeah. victimhood his That's own true. his own white male damaged little yeah. victimhood and it doesn't help us does it no it doesn't help no. us so, so, I was, so i'm always about i'm all about what works you know mm -hmm. i don't mm -hmm. i'm not really about like what's mm -hmm. well i do care about what's true but i care about what works more mm -hmm. than that and so I just I wonder it's a balance, right? It's like you have to. Be I know it, it is a balance, things. isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is. It's tough too because you don't want to sound like a bastard either. You know, you don't want to be like we crying for. You know, what right. are you so sad about? Right, right. But I do think that there's there's probably a difference between crying in front of 200 people that you don't know and crying to somebody that you really care about, or like sort of right. on a therapist's couch, maybe. Well, um, crying in a class of seven had the effect of holding the class hostage. Mm -hmm to the tears and uh she feels super awkward did i yeah i think at first i was very surprised i, I didn't feel awkward i was very surprised that they had that this response to what i thought was freeing you know what i think is freeing material i like to read people taking risks and writing new, oh, new totally. stuff um so i thought it was odd i thought it was odd and kind of horrible that they wanted to police uh, the material the way they did um one student the one who did the most crying said um no woman who has actually been assaulted would ever write about it this way. Whoa. And, uh, that's, that's fucked up. It's crazy, isn't it? Because it says we will only listen to one form of um, conversation around assault. And I can tell you that the person who wrote it, for as far as I can tell, has been ass assaulted since she was about six years old. Yeah. And she's chosen her method of communication. Exactly. And, um, and that's so that's so they were basically saying so, it didn't match what they'd seen on tv you know i mean they didn't use so those wild. words but yeah um yeah. or they or just or what they see on the internet yeah or, what they or, i guess you know. that's where i come back to what i was saying is like this idea of femininity mm -hmm. and assault and how we package ourselves and how we you know what i mean what yeah. it means and, and it didn't it didn't fit what they wanted so um it it could it it, it was damaging to them basically. Right, right. and it's know? it's interesting that you bring that up too because I saw uh, Roxanne Gay, who's uh, obviously awesome at owning people on the internet mm -hmm. because she's been doing it for an extremely long time. Mm -hmm. um, there was a book that came out recently called The Black Witch. Did you see oh, this? I I, you saw I this? did, but I don't know what that's about. Uh, really. It's it's long story short. That's a YA book that uh, has a racist villain. Okay. Or maybe the main character's racist. Anyway, one of the characters in it is racist. Yeah. And the point is that at the end, uh, the person is no longer racist, it's redemptive, whatever. Okay. Um, I have no commentary on the book whatsoever, because mm -hmm. I never read it. Yeah. Um, but apparently people were really, really upset at the fact that there was a racist character at all. Even though it was okay. a villain. Yeah. Um, and it was what you were saying, it's almost like people will start to follow this sort of pattern. It's almost like they have... It becomes moves on a chessboard rather than an actual display of emotion. Yeah. Um, 
And so where Roxane Gay comes into this is that the Vulture article that was written negatively about this sort of backlash for the book, um, Roxane Gay was was, po was positive towards that. Mm -hmm. And so people started to attack her with all the buzzwords mm -hmm. and things like I that. See. Yeah. And uh, when she came back at them, they were like, you're harassing me. Oh, yeah. And her tweet that I love so much, she said, um, don't, she's like, don't come after me. And then when I clap back at you, claim harassment. She's like, yeah. I've been doing this for 25 years. She said, I've been, I've been a black woman on the internet for 25 years. Yeah. It's not going to work on me. Yeah. Um, but it's so interesting because it does seem like a game that people play. Mm -hmm. And they have buzzwords like harass. Uh -huh. you know, trigger warnings. Trigger, we need like, trigger warnings. Like you're allowed to, um, they're allowed to <laughs> tell somebody, you know what? You're a fucking terrible person. Mm -hmm. Like, how dare you, like, do this thing that they don't agree with or whatever and then when they're like shut up they're like you're harassment yeah harassing yeah me. yeah you know so it's yeah. all this like very yeah. very strange manipulation of words it's kind of scary that. because it's people losing their minds yeah. honestly yeah i feel like there's something that i can't put my finger on but it's related in some way um I, I, I'm in danger of criticizing people who take medication for mm -hmm. mental health, and I do not want to do that. I don't want to criticize anyone who takes medication. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like um, I am old enough to have uh, lived through times before SSRIs were so common, right? Mm -hmm. Before Prozac Nation. Sure. And um, I feel like a lot of the punk rock scene came out because mm -hmm. we didn't have those things, right? Yeah, right. And, and it was a good thing. It was a good thing. And I'm not saying, I don't know, I, this is not a conversation I've worked out in my mind. Sure. Because I don't want anyone to struggle. Right, right. right? And yeah. a lot of people did some pretty messed up things and some people didn't live through it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that, that I'm, I don't want to buy into like, oh, you've got to chop off your hair if you want to make paintings, right? right, not, right, right. You don't need to be the troubled artist. But um, I do feel like there's this other level, which is where if you're feeling some emotions, you know, you need to medicate them, you need to talk to somebody, you need to smooth them out, you need to not ruffle. Mm -hmm. And then if you read a story or see something that upsets you, you're supposed to quickly blame somebody or smooth those feelings out, you know, that's a little yeah. scary to me. It's like, yeah. just let yourself feel some stuff and maybe be a little more engaged with your own genuine organic emotions. Sure. And I think I think that, and, and I don't think this is what you're saying, this is maybe more of my opinion on it, but um, the way I feel about, you know, the everybody being very, very careful and, and coddled is that, you know, it's it's what we said earlier, it's a spectrum, right? Yeah. It's like, of yeah. course, don't cut your ear off or yeah. kill your girlfriend or jump out of a window or whatever, but yeah. on the other end, if you live in a sterile white room in a bubble and you never let anything come in, yeah. your book your writing in particular is probably not going to be very interesting. You could probably write about that bubble. For well, if you and if you let um, the media, the worst media, there is some really good stuff out there. There's really wonderful shows, but if you let certain media just tell you what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman or what it means to be gay, and you don't you don't bring your your organic self to that, then you're just reproducing the thinnest sort of uh, illness of society, I think, you know, and, and, and unfortunately I see that sometimes. Yeah. Not always, but I yeah. see it in, uh, I see it in certain work, I see it in certain places. Um, when, and it's been a long time now since I wrote Clown Girl, but when I wrote Clown Girl, it really didn't, and I tried to sell it in New York, I got a lot of comments back because people in New York didn't understand um, the idea of a, of a girl who didn't care about, like, high, you know, she's wearing clown shoes, right? And it was the Sex and the City era, and, and they were all wearing uh, high heels, right? And I intentionally did that, like, let's yeah. put her in big old clown shoes, because it's the opposite of those images of gender right. stuff. 
but women in Portland were not buying into the New York stuff. You know, we're all carrying an extra 10 or 20 pounds to, to, to New York or LA, right? Mm -hmm. And who cares? Like, you know, we're not bleaching our assholes or whatever. I don't know what they're doing now, but you know what I'm saying? Like there were trends that were kind of dominating. And if you put a clown girl in the middle of that scene, it, it doesn't fit those right. pictures. And that was part of the trouble in, um, in publishing it, right? Because people in New York were like, why doesn't she have the standard um, goals, which would be a better job, a boyfriend with more money, and a pair of uh, fancy high heels, you know? So interesting. She didn't have any of that. I don't get those. I don't understand why people go into a creative industry with like that kind of mindset. Yeah. Well, I think they live in a culture where that is predominant. But um, yeah. you know, I think LA and New York are predominant for selling narrow, um, narrow gender roles, n narrow ideas about conventional beauty, and then of course they have the, this the span of people who who live outside those right. things. What, seems, what, what it seems to me too is that like it's funny because as it evolves, it's still a narrow view, but now it's a narrow view with like now they're like, oh, let's get a black gay person and we'll cut take off those two notches, yeah. and now we have that. But it's they're not actually like. I don't, I, I always it's not really widening. They're bringing everybody right. back to convince. Right. It, it to, always yeah. feels ugly to me, and I have a little bit of that Holden Caulfield, like everybody's a phony except for me, kind of thing <laughs> yeah. going on, which yeah. isn't necessarily healthy either. But it does seem to me that there are certain people, maybe because I know them, who I can tell are like acquiring books because that's what's hot right now. Yeah. You know, instead yeah. of like maybe yeah. that's what maybe it's a good thing. Yeah. I feel bad talking shit because I don't know if the books are good for the most part because yeah. I, I haven't read them, but I just know that the impulses of the people behind the acquisitions of the books. Does that make sense? So it's like, yeah. No, you just you have to you have to find your organic self and you have to let yourself be yourself, whatever you know gender or where you fit on that. Mm -hmm. And I just think you can't let uh, packaged Hollywood. It's just like I'm sorry. It's just like going to Urban Outfitters and buying stuff that looks like it came from the Goodwill. Yeah. And uh. Maybe it looks great on a person, maybe mm -hmm. it's a wonderful thing, and if it does, you know, if it works for you, go ahead, but sometimes it's just like... I was thinking about that, I was thinking about capitalism in terms of books, actually, and how weird that is, yeah. how people treat books like they're a product, which yeah. they are, Yeah. but it's not healthy, I think, to think of books in the same way you think of, like, a bag of Cheetos or something like that, or an experience, like, I, people treat Amazon like Yelp, you know? Like what? Yelp. Oh. Like they'll go on Amazon and they'll say this this didn't fulfill the expectations exactly. that I wanted, and I'm like the what worst the reviews are the reviews that have certain expectations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I've gotten all yeah. kinds of different bad reviews, and I'm mostly okay with it. But um, there are some that I've read for books that I put out on Broken River where it's like book arrived damaged one star. Oh my gosh! You're doing <laughs> when you do it's that. It's not but an IKEA yeah. table. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That has nothing to do, or you know, book had a lot of foul language. That goes back to, that's just the uh, the conservative side of yeah. what you're talking yeah. about. Just, you yeah. know, oh, it had to. So, um, I remember that we, last time I think we hung out, we talked a little bit about uh, something that was going on with a, the Clown Girl movie, with uh, Baskets in particular. That's right. And Baskets is on, I think it started its second season now. I think they just got a third season. Oh, I, don't, wow. I, don't, I don't know what's on because I haven't kept up with it, but right. I think they got approved for a third season. Right. So I talked to you about that and it, it was kind of, uh, I felt like a sort of infuriating story, so I just wanted to uh, 
kind of take the tail end of the podcast here to give you an opportunity to sort of re- relate that story and uh, kind of what happened with the clown girls. Yeah, so the thing with that, you know, I... Um, I had written Clown Girl. I took ten, ten years to write it. It was a it was a hard book. I rewrote it three different ways, and I my idea behind Clown Girl was to write a. Um, I really wanted to use uh, clowning as a metaphor in some ways. I had worked as a clown when I was younger, and when I started teaching and writing and other things, clowning kept coming back to me, and it came back to me in terms of what it means to take risks and what it means to be an artist. Um, so I uh, kind of wanted to make fun of the idea of the high artiste. But I also wanted to show that commitment and tenacity, and so I wanted to write a character who, for who, whom clowning is um, more than just a job; it's a calling, right? So it's a, it's a, the, the main character uh, cannot actually give it up, even when she tries, because it is her life's work, and it's who she is. Um, I called on Charlie Chaplin and other masters, W. C. Fields. I did a lot of research, and I'm a big Charlie Chaplin fan, and I wanted to create a. Um, a, a female Charlie Chaplin. Um, she's got a rubber chicken. The rubber chicken becomes a stand-in for a miscarriage she had. It's kind of her whole family. She's got a uh, boyfriend who she's paying to send him to clown college, and uh, the boyfriend is kind of a... I think as readers we can see pretty quickly he's not as invested in her as she is in him, but I didn't want to uh, judge him harshly. I wanted to kind of reflect that back on her. She's kind of projecting her little romance mm-hmm. onto him. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of, he is what he is, which is a bit of a mooch and, uh, um, and, a, and a clown. And in the end of the book, he actually steals her work. Um, but I, I was able to sell that to Kristen Wiig uh, shortly before Bridesmaids came out. And um, if you see in Bridesmaids, in Clown Girl, the, the main romantic lead, other than um, the clown, the, the, the actual romantic lead, um, is a cop, okay? And um, so I sold that to Kristen Wiig, and if you look at Bridesmaids, the romantic lead is a cop, mm-hmm. right? Um, later in her, in other movies she made, she uses the name Rex, which is the name of the character. Rex is the clown. Uh, there are little things that come up in her work, sort of like she's sort of picked a, you know, a few little things just parallel or come up, but um, she went round and round with Clown Girl, and then she ended up getting uh, funding from TriStar, to make the movie and we were looking really good and we had a contract and we just needed to get the contract signed and I would have made a significant uh, amount of money that would have been life changing. But um, at the last minute she did not sign it and uh, she walked away from it and it was kind of shocking because she'd spent um, year, you know, quite a lot of time telling me that it was her story, it was her life story, she identified with the clown and clown girl, which makes sense as a beautiful comedian because um, that is what the character is essentially. So. Um, I had full conviction she was going to make it. She told me she wanted to write it herself. But what happened is she ended up taking a role in Masterminds with Zach Galifianakis, and they had been working on some things together. Um, she was up here working on um, Portlandia one day, and I was able to meet up with her at the Doug Fur Lounge, where Jonathan Crystal was uh, there as the, I guess they call him showrunner or director or whatever that role is. And um, I met Jonathan Crystal and uh, some other people who were there. But um, then, you know, shortly after that, uh, maybe, I don't know how long it was after that, maybe a year, there was that sudden sort of switcheroo where she dropped the piece completely and dropped out of touch and um, took a role in Masterminds, took a role in something else with Jonathan Crystal, I don't know what it is, but um, Masterminds is with Zach Galifianakis 
and my project was dropped, but Zach Galifianakis and Jonathan Crystal came up with a show called Baskets. They already had a contract with Louis C.K., but they um, didn't have a show. And you can see in interviews all over the place, uh, Zach Galifianakis says that he had run out of ideas. He says in comedy, sometimes you run out of ideas. He says in other places that he was trying to make a behind the scenes of Between Two Ferns, and that wasn't working out. So they had a ticking clock, they had to fulfill a contract, a big opportunity with Louis C.K., and they were out of ideas, and their show wasn't working out. It's all in interviews, you can see him say that. And then all of a sudden this clown idea came out of nowhere, and it's a clown for whom clowning is more than a job, it's a calling, it's an art, he's a high artiste, they called on Chaplin, they called on W.C. Fields, he has a romantic partner who's not that into him. Um, it's flipped a little bit in that in my book, the main character pays for her boyfriend to go to clown college. In Baskets, Galifianakis plays the role whose girlfriend has paid for him to go to clown college. Um, in my book, you can see um, I made up a, a big box store called, called um, oh, what did I call it? Um, I'm blanking on the name all of a sudden, but anyway, the, cl they, the clowns shop in this big box store, and in, in baskets they shop in a, in a Costco, which is essentially, it's a fictionalized, you know, mine was a fictionalized version of the same. My book is set in Baloney Town, there is a set in Bakersfield. There are changes, there are a lot of differences, but every time I see an episode and half the time I see promotion, there's a direct parallel. Um, Season one opened with an image of um, God giving breath to Adam, a play on that, but with, uh, with, with the character who plays the mother in drag, uh, what is his name, Louis? Oh, Louis Anderson. Louis Anderson. Mm -hmm. But that's, uh, the, the bottom of the first page of Clown Girl opens with the image of God giving breath to Adam in, in, a, in a very similar way, in a that remade the, clown way. That was the real, like... Because that's so goddamn close. Yeah. Like, like, well, like, season two started with a with a missing um, a missing sign, missing baskets, making signs, and, mm -hmm. and it, they say like runty, short. This the, the middle of my book has starts with missing signs, missing chicken, runty, small. It's mm -hmm. all, it's all the same. You know, yeah. it's just like they just pulled it from later in the book. And I mean, I'm not saying that they did, but it looks like that to me. Yeah. Uh, as as someone who's close to the content, I can mm -hmm. see it. I don't and, know if other people would see it, but uh, I really Clown feel Girl like something in, happened like, there. Like the book Clown Girl is in an episode of Portlandia. It is. It's too. in Portlandia. It's in Portlandia. A reporter that I was talking to asked Jonathan Crystal if he had um, used the book, and he said he'd never heard of it. And I know he's heard of it because it's it's on a shelf that's curated in Portlandia. So mm -hmm. anyway, I'm just pretty curious about the whole thing, mm -hmm. how that all happened. Um, the people involved in it seem to me to be uh, some of the richest men in Hollywood. And uh, I am um, a broke single mother with a small press book, and I just think that's uh, something that we could have a more conversation about. I'd love to talk to those guys involved. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. totally. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for asking. Thanks for letting me spell that out. Yeah, no, and I think that it's also I, I see that I see that happen. Uh, the longer and longer I am in books, the more mm -hmm. I see that happen. Mm -hmm. Where I'll have mm -hmm. friends who don't get necessarily get as close as you did, yeah. but yeah. they'll have encounters with certain. Hollywood people, 
and then yeah. surprisingly, like five years later, there's something that's just remarkably close to what they did. That's they right. Just, they tore just the guts out. Yeah. I don't get why the fuck these people don't. Do it. Why it would be nothing to them to just. Well, that's like, the thing is, I you know, understand why they couldn't just. Why they couldn't make baskets? Yeah. And then like give you a shout out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. like it, well, that's the thing is. It, it, cut you a little check, right? You yeah. Know, if Kristen Wiig had made it as it was written out in the contract, I would have made good money and I would be secure and my daughter would have a college fund. Mm -hmm. um, but if she couldn't make it or didn't make it, if there had been this switcheroo, which I feel appears to have happened, where she traded off for a role in Masterminds or something, whichever happened behind the scenes, I, I can only guess because I'm not part of those, but um, if they had offered me a relatively small piece of money, I would have been so happy. I would have mm -hmm. thought they were great guys, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. They're just like we're not gonna make clown girl per se. Yeah, we're just gonna take some of the idea. Here's a little chunk of change. We'll give Your you a little. Your name will be in the credits. That would have been. I would have been high. I would have been on cloud nine. But and I just don't um, understand why. I don't understand. Well, why personally, so you know, I could be wrong, but I, in my life history tells me that um, older white men have a hard time saying that uh, a, 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 a mother that they took their their very cool comedy ideas from a a, a woman. Mm -hmm. You know, right. women aren't supposed to be that funny. And I'm not even saying it's over the top funny. It's a it's a it's a funny slash sad book. But um, I just really feel like what they're doing came from my work. Mm -hmm. And again, I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. But um, that there there are always people who will say, oh, everybody imagines that their work was stolen by Hollywood. Well, it's not just that it's not just that I'm imagining it. It was contracted by somebody who works closely with them. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all in the same hands. And like you said, the book was on the set of Portlandia, and I right. met those people. Right. You know pretty darn yeah. close. What are the odds we both came up with a, yeah. a, a story about a clown who believes it's a, a, a calling more than a job and uses the word artiste and uh, uses um, the image of God giving life to Adam in a comical that's, that's the rehash. sticking point. I yeah. don't, I don't yeah. get how... Yeah. There's more. There's more of those. There's more little moments, you know? It's the little ones, too, that, mm -hmm. that, that like, get it. Too. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? But Hollywood's pretty tight with how you uh, have to go after that stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I've got it in me or not. I just, um, I feel like, I feel like if they're, they're very, very rich men and uh, they're very successful and people will say, oh no, Zach Galifianakis, he's a really good guy. Well, if he's a really good guy, he should step forward. There's an article about how he bought some woman a house. I feel like he's trying to be a good guy. You know, mm -hmm. he wants to be a good guy, but this is not the, you know, if, if what I'm thinking happened, then it is, it does not make me feel right. like there's a, some integrity there. Right. There's a piece missing that right. needs to be made right. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's so funny. I'm just gonna add just, just real fast. Yeah. Um, that I had written a story about, um, a, it was like a Western. It was about a, a Civil War guy who is uh, pursuing this group of uh, cannibals across the Old West to like, save his life. Yeah. And uh, there was this guy who uh, had submitted his book of short stories to the press that published me, which was run by Jeremy. Very, very small press. Okay. Uh, yeah. Super, super small press. Oh, yeah. I think, out, I think we did talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Only put out like five books. So it was it was my book, the one that you learned, the, the first one. Okay. Yeah. And then... Um, the, uh, my book of short stories and then another one and then like two or three other ones um, so basically like yeah this guy did it and then a few years later he makes a movie and it's called Bone Tomahawk and it's okay. a western about a guy pursuing a group of cannibals across the west to save his wife and my little thing had been that I had described the cannibals as covering themselves in white like ash in yeah. the story, which is yeah. a weird, unique kind of, because it's based in the 1800s, and you know, and all the cannibals in the movie are like 
covered, so it's covered in, in white ash. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, yeah. I, list, I remember listening to a podcast where he was talking about like his idea for the thing. They're like, where did the idea? I don't know. Like, it's always when it's like the universe talking to you in weird ways. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, where did you come up with this idea? And he's he's just like, you know, sometimes you just pull from the well. Right. You just right. <laughs> right. Well, that's what a lot of people asked um, Louis C.K. and Zach Galifianakis and Jonathan Crystal and this other guy. Um, who's a fox, I think he's a CEO of some department of fox or something, but they asked them where they came up with this idea and they said, uh, they said it just suited the curmudgeon, they said, oh, it just, um, they were trying to think of some, something that would suit this kind of angry temperament or something and they said, oh, a rodeo clown, a rodeo clown, and it just fell from the sky, it all fell together from there. And it's such fucking bullshit. Yeah. Like, that's, and that that makes you want to, like, reach through the thing and just, like, choke them and it's like, yeah. Why would it kill you to say, like, because for, like, mine's not as serious as yours because mine is, like, more, I don't know, but it would have been cool Yeah. as somebody yeah. who's, like, struggling, if he was like, you know what, I read this story that I thought was really cool yeah. and I was inspired by it that's to write right. this. That's right, that's right. And I took a, I would be pissed. We say stuff like that all the time. I mean, people who, who, who read other people's work, you say, I read this great thing. You're in yeah. conversation. You don't try to hide it and be like, right. oh, it just came to me from nowhere. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there's another piece to that I was going to say, but anyway. That's yeah. what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been a bad Thank you. Super fun. Good to see you. Oh my gosh. Wow.